But this uh, message you can see behind me, we're going to be in the book of Habakkuk. Uh, I'll tell you that now because you, if you're going through a physical Bible copy, it may take you a little longer to find it. Um, if you have an electronic device you're using to read the Word of God, then you could probably be a little bit easier getting there. But we're going to be in Habakkuk this morning, and uh, this message, I, I tell you what, you know, God just loves us so much. He does, and, and this message just, I didn't know it at the beginning of this week, or even when God put it on my heart several months ago to be preaching out of Habakkuk on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. But um, this message is just fitting for what's going on with my family. Um, I appreciate your prayers. Uh, pray for my mom and my dad. Uh, my granddad had a major stroke yesterday, and uh, they called me this morning, and they're calling in the family. So um, we could use your prayers. Um, some of y'all know that Jamie lost her grandma about a month and a half ago, and so this has kind of uh, been a year. Um, <clears throat> but like I said, this message... Just God just reiterating to me the content of this message, not just to preach this message, but to live this message. And I know that we have all gone through loss. I know some of us are going through very difficult situations and circumstances in this very moment. And uh, sometimes we relive those things. Um, but I believe this message will help us all to have a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of rejoicing. So um, with that said... I love Thanksgiving. Uh, I really do. And part of my love for Thanksgiving has little to do with the food, though my mom and my mother-in-law are incredible cooks. And uh, I want to make sure I get some of their recipes and things like that. Um, but I love it because for the Hurchin family in particular, it's a time where we get together more than we normally get to get together. Uh, some of y'all may not know, uh, my brother's a, a senior pastor. My dad is a retired pastor who is still pastoring because um, that's just kind of how pastors do it. Um, they're retired, and then they take on a small church and, and just help them out through a time. And so Thanksgiving is a time of year where we know we're going to be together on Thanksgiving Day. I mean, that is when my mom has put her, her fist down and say, I get Thanksgiving. I don't care who you marry. <laughs> I don't care what, what their parents say. Thanksgiving is mine, um, because we know that Christmas is kind of, okay, when can we get together? Uh, type of thing. And I love <clears throat> that idea of just being able to get together with family. I love how people celebrate Thanksgiving. And if you don't know Thanksgiving's coming, it's coming, so you should probably get your turkey, by the way, um, or figure out what you're going to be eating on Thursday. Um, but for some of us, we're traditional Thanksgiving people. Um, our, our plans for Thanksgiving Day is we're going to wake up, we're going to stuff our bellies to the point we've got to loosen our belts. We're going to get a nap in there. It's going to be pretty awesome because we're going to have that turkey drug, whatever that is, in us. And uh, we're going to maybe watch some football. But in particular, we're going to be with family and friends and people that we love in our life. And we're going to share that time with one another. Some of us are maybe more non-traditionalists uh, that we've already got our 5K booked for Thanksgiving morning. And uh, there are those in your family who are thankful they're not running that 5K on Thanksgiving morning. Um, some of y'all are going to already making plans. Who, who here has already looked at the Black Friday ads? I have. I mean, there's no guilt. There's no, I mean, it, it popped up in my email. I was curious. What's for sale? Um, and some of us, that's, that's kind of what we do. Um, that's kind of a tradition my brother and his wife and Jamie and I have, have done every Thanksgiving night. My mom did Thanksgiving Day, but at Thanksgiving night, we're like, okay, 
here's all seven grandkids. We're going. We're going to Walmart. We're going to go uh, hang out in the store, and we're going to see what pajamas are on sale. That's really all we get is pajamas and socks, but um, it's fun. Um, the Bible says in Psalm 107.1, O give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. In Psalm 104, it says, Enter His gates with thanksgiving, and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. And I don't know about you, but I want this heart. I want this heart for myself. I want this heart for my family. I want this heart for my church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. We're 24-7, no matter what we go through in life, we are having a heart of thanksgiving and a heart of rejoicing, and we are entering into the presence of God, giving thanks for who He is in our relationship with Him. The issue we have is we live in a broken, sinful world. And this broken, sinful world frequently combats our heart of thanks and our heart of rejoicing. Unlike most of you all, I can hardly watch the news and not become heartbroken and disgusted about what's going on. Um, if you are a news watcher, then you know that the topic of conversation this week was impeachment. And I don't really care where you stand on the side or what aisle you're on. Um, someone's lying. That's, that's what you can come to conclude. There's somebody lying, and I don't know which party it is, but somebody's lying. But it's funny because um, the competitive news sources can't even get the story right. One puts an article that such and such said this, and this is what it meant, and, and the other one says the exact opposite. And so we've got to be careful even on the news sources that are coming into our life about what they're actually presenting. Is that actually the truth and what's going on? All we can be certain is there's somebody lying. And hopefully and we can pray that it gets to the bottom of it and we figure out what it is, even if we're for or against the president. Again, I don't care your political ties. All I care is you're a child of God. Okay, so. <laughs> but even if you're not a national news watcher, you may watch the local news. You may have it on your app and things pop up and you see things going on in this world that just makes you disgusted. Children being abducted, abused, families being torn apart, families going through times of loss, war and famine and disease and, and, and things just going on that you look at and say, okay, God, why do you let this happen? Where are you in the midst of all of this? And as we work our way through Habakkuk this morning, I know some of y'all, uh, Jason joked around that we were in Joshua for a little over a year. We were going to get through Habakkuk in a day. And uh, I, don't, don't, don't let that freak you out, okay? Um, I promise I've, I've edited this down as much as I possibly can. But um, we're going to do Habakkuk today. I, I challenge everybody to read Habakkuk this week off Facebook. If you didn't see that, that's fine. Habakkuk is basically three chapters, and you can read it this afternoon if you don't want to. We're going to kind of go through and get an overview of what's going on and how this impacts our heart to have a heart of thanksgiving despite tragedies we may be going through or tragedies we may be reliving in our mind and our heart. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And I know that we all struggle with rejoicing. I know we all struggle with giving thanks for certain situations. And here's some good news for all of us this morning. You're not alone. You're not alone with the struggle. You're not alone with wrestling. You're not alone with asking God why and where is God in all this. You're not alone with not having a heart of thanks. And so the book of Habakkuk lets us know if you haven't found it yet, <laughs> Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah. It's right near the end of the Old Testament. It's part of the Minor Prophets. And Habakkuk is unlike any of the other prophetical books that we have. 
And there's a reason for that. Like I said, we're not going to read the entire book. We're going to begin in chapter 1, and we are going to get through chapter 3. Again, you can read it later if you'd like to. But Habakkuk isn't like any other prophet. Usually when a prophet was announced by God, God would deliver a message to the prophet, and then the prophet would deliver the message to the intended group of people. Within the book of Habakkuk, it kind of takes a flip. Habakkuk is needing a message from God, not for the people, but for himself. He is living in a world where he's trying to understand how is this all happening and how is God involved in this. And to understand Habakkuk's world, we need to understand when he lived. He lived in a time where Israel was divided. We just finished Joshua where the people have just taken the promised land. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, they eventually become divided after the reign of King Solomon. Invited into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was known as Judah. The southern kingdom was known as Israel. And after King Solomon died, there was a battle for war, and the northern kingdom eventually fell into idolatry, to which God sent a group of people called the Assyrians to attack the northern kingdom, and they took possession of that. But the southern kingdom remained untouched by the Assyrian invasion, partly because of some alliances they had with other countries that protected them from the Assyrians. But if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, Daniel takes place when the Assyrian army comes in and they take some of the best of Israel back and they train him up, hence the book of Daniel. Well, in the book of Daniel itself, what happens is the Assyrian armies eventually get invaded by the Babylonians and a change of leadership happens. And Habakkuk gets this foretelling of coming, but he really wrestles with it. The beginning of chapter 1 of Habakkuk, it says that the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw... And immediately this book is different. The word oracle can be read as message. It's a common word used within the prophetic books to say that a prophet is going to speak against the nations. But this was not a message Habakkuk was going to speak. It says very clearly it was a message that he he saw and he would be given instructions later in the book that he was going to write it down. This is one of the major differences of the book of Habakkuk. The second major difference of this book is the majority of the book, even though it's only three chapters, is a lament. A lament is a part of text in the Bible which expresses a deep sorrow for a current condition and pleads for God's intervention. Habakkuk isn't the only book, prophetic book that carries laments. Most of them do that. But the bulk of Habakkuk is Habakkuk lamenting to God about his current condition and trying to understand how to have a rejoiceful heart and be thankful in the midst of all the tragedy around him. So within the book of Habakkuk, in chapter 1 itself, Habakkuk delivers two complaints. And though the complaints are about the world around him, the complaints are directed at God. Let's read verse 2 through 4. We kind of get an idea of this. So this is Habakkuk speaking to God. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Or cry to you violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth for the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Habakkuk is in the middle of this understanding. Okay, God, Lord, Yahweh, I am. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And yet at the same time, Habakkuk is struggling to see God's omnipresence. And so he's in a battle of faith. He's he's understanding who God is according to the scripture, but he's battling with this deistic view of God. 
Deism says that God created all things and then he just stepped back and let it go. And so back, like we do, is in the midst of this battle of faith. And if you don't think you struggle with that, if you've ever asked God, why is this happening? Or where are you in all of this? Then you struggle with the idea of deism. And so Habakkuk cries out to God. He says, God, your law is paralyzed. He's telling God, I look around at the world around me and it seems like your word has no power and no effect on the people. Where are you in the midst of this? I know your word, yet what I'm seeing does not match what I know. He's in the midst of a faith tragedy. And so he cries out to God to answer, to hear, to respond. And this is what God does beginning in verse 5. Several verses in Habakkuk I have come to love. I've been reading Habakkuk uh, all the way through almost daily for the last couple months. And chapter 1, verse 5 is one of those verses that I've come to love. Habakkuk can only see evil around him. He only sees people who are sinning, continuing to profit and get away with it. And yet God speaks to Habakkuk and God speaks hope. Habakkuk wrestles whether God cares. Is he even aware of what's going on? Is God even involved in any of this? And God relays to Habakkuk that he is in fact moving and working in ways that Habakkuk couldn't understand. Verse 5, the Lord speaks to Habakkuk and says, Look among the nations and see. Well, that's what Habakkuk's been doing. He's been looking, he's been seeing, but God says, Look and see with a different lens. Look and see things the way I am seeing them. And he says, wonder and be astounded. That is the exact same Hebrew word for wonder and be astounded. It means to be in a state of shock, in a state of surprise. The double emphasis speaking to Habakkuk says, you're going to be blown away if you actually knew what was going on that you can't see. And he says, I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Don't you love that? comes to Habakkuk who's wrestling faith and says, Look, buddy, if I told you everything's going on, you couldn't believe it. And in the midst of our tragedy, in the midst of going through evil, in the midst of discouragement, this is an action that we should take, is to be thankful that God is at work. God is at work. He's not only present, but He's working all things together for His glory. No matter what situation we go through, God is at work. We don't have to understand it. We don't even have to see how it's coming about. But we have to remind ourselves in the midst of tragedy, I can have a thankful heart because even though I don't like this, even though I don't understand it, even though I can't comprehend it, I know my God is at work. I may not see how He is working, but this is why it takes faith to have a thankful heart. We believe in a God who loves us, and a God who promises to never leave us or forsake us. We believe in a God in which nothing, nothing can separate us from His love for us. We believe in a God who has promised that He who began a good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We believe in a God who has saved us and invited us to be a part of His work. And like a back in the midst of tragedy, we have to take God at His word. We have to have faith. But it doesn't mean we have to have God's complete understanding. We may not know how God is working in this moment. But we don't have to. 
We just have to have faith that He in fact is because we believe in a God whose ways and thoughts are far beyond our own. So even though God knows Habakkuk won't understand what He's doing, what God does in verses 5 through verse 11 of chapter 1 is God gives Habakkuk a little snippet of His plan. And if you read through the, the Scriptures, you see God does this quite often where He delivers just a, a part of the plan, not the whole thing. Because I think if we, read, if we read Scripture with that view, okay, what's the part of the plan God reveals and then what happens throughout the rest of the plan, we would understand if God revealed His entire plan for our life, a lot of us would not have the faith to get on board with that plan. Look at Abraham. When God called him out of his family and to leave his, his country and to go, he didn't give him the whole plan of everything he was going to go through. He just said, I'm going to bless you and make you into a great nation. But if Abraham knew that when I take my wife and I take my nephew with me and me and my nephew are going to have troubles and wrestling matches and struggles and we're going to have to part ways and my wife, I'm going to have to tell her to be my sister because I'm, I'm afraid that people are going to kill me and, and I'm, going to have, I'm going to have sexual relationships with my wife's concubine and, and that's going to bring issues within our family unit. Do you think Abraham would have gotten on board? You think Moses, when he's called out in the burning bush, when God says, I need you to go back to Egypt because I've heard my people cry out to me, and here's what you're going to experience as you go. The people, first off, aren't going to like you very much over a period of time. Matter of fact, they're going to disagree with you quite often, and it's going to come to a point, even though I'm leading to the promised land, you're going to get so frustrated with the people, you're not going to actually get to go. You think Moses would have gotten on board? You see, what God does is He comes and gives us a little, be, little bit of the plan in our life so we can take that next step of faith. And as we go along, we grow in our faith and then we get to see the bigger picture. The reality is if you're a child of God, then God is consistently and continually working in your life, whether you're aware of it or not. He is all around you, all encompassing you, doing a great and mighty work through you. But He gives Habakkuk, here's a little piece. In verse 6, he says, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were a subgroup of the Babylonians. The Babylonians, as mentioned, would come in and they would conquer the Assyrians. They would march into the southern kingdom and possess it. You can read it in your scriptures in the book of 2 Kings and also in the book of Daniel. So God comes to Habakkuk and his response is, I am aware of the rampant sin of Israel. I am aware of what is going on there. And Habakkuk, this is how I'm going to deal with it. I'm going to use the Babylonians. In verses 6 through 11 of Habakkuk chapter 1 speaks of the Babylonians' power and the ferocity to conquer things. So Habakkuk comes to God in the beginning of the book and he wants God to give him an answer. He wants God to respond. And so when God responds, Habakkuk then turns to his second complaint beginning in verse 12 and he doesn't like God's answer. And so he gives a complaint back to God. See, he, he doesn't understand, in verses 12 through uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he doesn't understand how God can use a sinful and evil nation like the Chaldeans to deal with a sinful and evil nation that is Israel. So the book of Habakkuk begins with, with Habakkuk ask, asking God to do something, and his view is, Israel is the worst. And then God answers, and Habakkuk comes to his second complaint where he says, No, I take that back. God using the Babylonians is the worst. 
So he's gone from questioning God's activity to now questioning God's ways and way that God is going to work. So Habakkuk has a lack of understanding. And God's response to Habakkuk is to let him know that I'm fully aware of Israel's sin. I'm fully aware of the Babylonian sin. And in chapter 2, verse 4, God renders a judgment to both Israel and Babylon. He says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. That means that they are swollen with pride. It is not upright. It is not pleasing within him. There's this inner battle going on. But the righteous shall live by faith. And this is a turning point in the book because this is, in fact, what God is calling Habakkuk to do. He sees the physical, and God says, I want you to see by faith. This is a very, should be a very similar verse in Scripture as Paul uses it in Romans chapter 1 to say that this is how the gospel reveals the righteousness of God and that the righteous will live by faith. So God reveals something to Habakkuk, which you wouldn't understand, and even something greater here beyond just Habakkuk seen by faith. God gives a glimpse of the cross. He's letting Habakkuk know that thing that you wouldn't be able to understand even if I told you is going to play out so much greater than what's going on in your life right now because my son's coming. And he's going to die on the cross for all this evil and for all this sin that's going on around you and all this sin that's coming at you. And he's going to take it all. So he gives him a little taste. And in verse 3, he gives him another taste. He says, if all this seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And this is the second action. Not to only have a thankful heart that God is at work in the midst of our tragedy, but have a thankful heart that God is faithful. God is faithful. Sometimes I think in life we need to just stop and take a breath and breathe out. But God, you're faithful. Not as a question, but as a statement of faith. Lord, I'm going through this, but God, you're faithful. You're faithful to your word. You're faithful to your promises. You will never go against your word. Even if people in my life promise me one thing and do the exact opposite, Lord, I can go to you and I know that you will never do that to me. You are faithful. Jesus says, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. By all being accomplished, Jesus was not only speaking about his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, but he was speaking about his triumphal return where he gathers God's children and takes them into eternal rest. And we were restored back to God completely. God is faithful to his word. And as his children, as those who have been adopted by God the Father, we can know he's going to be faithful to us through his word. And in stating his faithfulness to Habakkuk and his creation, God delivers his knowledge of the unfaithfulness, of the instrument that he is going to use to the Babylonians. In verses 6 through 19 of chapter 2, God delivers five woes. Let's just say woe. All right, some of y'all are awake. Say woe. All right. A woe in Scripture. Woe. I mean, if you're like a Blossom fan, you know, woe. Uh, a woe in Scripture. Some of y'all don't know what Blossom is, then sorry, you're too young. But woe in Scripture is a term of announcement of judgment from God that stems from his deep regret and a grief over a course of action. 
In Matthew 23, Jesus delivers woes to the Pharisees and scribes because they're hypocrites. They're calling people to live a life they're, they're, not unwilling, they're not willing to live. And you look in the book of Revelation, a woe is always given in the beginning of a judgment. Woes are not good. We don't want woes in our life. We don't want to read about woes. We don't want to live in woes. And God comes back and says, look, I understand who the Babylonians are. I'm God. I know what they do. And so he delivers five woes to Habakkuk concerning the Babylonians' actions. And the woes deal with their greed, their, their seeking of possessions and land, their violence and injustice, their dishonoring of their neighbors and their idolatry. And so God comes to Habakkuk and says, I'm aware of who they are, but I'm also aware of the people that live around you. And if the people that live that are supposed to be my people act like the Babylonians, you better believe I'm going to bring my judgment upon them as well. God is faithful. Sometimes we look in this world and we see sinful people that seem to be getting away with stuff. We have a thought in our head sometimes, if you've never had this thought, then you're more righteous than me. Man, I wish they would just get what they deserved. I wish someone would just put them in their place because they just cheat and they lie and they hurt people and they seem to profit out of it. We live in a world that is broken But in God's faithfulness, we know a God that is going to judge every single individual so we don't have to. We can love on them. We can pray for them. We can lift them up. But God is faithful, and He will bring all people into account. And He is saying, even though I'm going to use these Babylonians, Habakkuk, they will be held accountable under my terms and conditions, not yours. And that brings us to the third action we should have in the midst of tragedy. Not only thankful that God is at work, thankful that God is faithful, but thankful that God is in control. Look in verse 20 of chapter 2. After he delivers the woes, he says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Sinners will not get away from God's ultimate judgment. Though they seem to arise in a position of power, the reality of this in this world that we have to continue to remind ourselves is our God is in control. No matter what I go through in life, I may not like it. I may be like Habakkuk and I'm crying out for God to do something, but my God is in control. And if God is for me, who can be against me? My God sits on His throne. My God allows things to happen. My God knows about everything, not only in my day, but in all my days to come. My God knows about my children's days and their children's days. He already knows if my children will have children, and He knows them by name. My God is in control. Not the American government, not Japan, not China, not any other government in the world. My God is in control. That's the God I serve, and that's the God I'm loved by. And so God comes to Habakkuk and says, Look, I sit in my holy temple. Let the earth keep silence before me. So we need this reminder in the midst of our tragedy from the book of Jeremiah, where God speaks to His people, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. 
But the problem we have with God being in control personally, at least I do, is because when I have to remind myself to have a thankful heart that my God is control, I have to realize one important feature of that. That means I am not. I'm not in control. I can barely control my own actions and my own sinful nature. I'm not in control, even though I like to plan and I like to have a calendar in my office and I like to write everything out and, and say, we're going to do this and this and this. And I can lay that out and, and think it's so pretty and nice. But God frequently comes to me and jokingly says, that's cute, Pastor Mike. But we're actually going to do this. And we're actually going to go here. The Lord reminds Habakkuk, in chapter 2, verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk, the earth won't be filled with the knowledge and glory of you. Pastor Mike, the earth won't be filled with the knowledge and glory of you. The earth will be filled with the knowledge and glory of the Lord. And this beautiful thing, and again, I really encourage you to read Habakkuk. Three chapters. By the time we come to chapter 3, Habakkuk has gone from complaining and questioning to rejoicing and praying and giving thanks. Habakkuk, to make this move from complaining to rejoicing and to understand that God is at work and God is faithful and God is in control, Habakkuk does what we all should do and what many of us are going to do this next week. Habakkuk doesn't look at his present circumstances. Instead, he looks to his history. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 16, which is very poetic in nature in, in this book, Habakkuk is looking back to how God has been at work, how God has been faithful, how God has been in control. In the midst of looking to the past, God, Habakkuk recognizes God's omnipresence, which is exactly where he started with the wrestling match. God, where are you? When are you going to do something? Well, he looks back and sees, God, you've been always involved in your people's life. He recognizes God's faithfulness throughout Israel's history. And it's another thing he was struggling with. Then he honors God's authority and control throughout Israel's history. But it begins by looking back at a creation and then going to how God delivered His people from Egypt in verses 3 through 10. And then the conquest of the promised land under leadership of Joshua, verses 11 through 15. And what Habakkuk does is instead of looking at the present and fretting about everything that's going on around him, Habakkuk looks at God's work and faithfulness and control and authority in the past to give meaning to his present. God, I see how you work there. And I know you will remain faithful here. And sometimes we need to do that in life in the midst of our tragedy. God, I've experienced your power, your presence, your work, your word in that moment, in that horrible moment, and I know you'll be faithful in this one. Because I know you are true. See, it was Habakkuk's forgetfulness which led to his lack of thankfulness. And Habakkuk begins by questioning God, Jump to verse 17 of chapter 3, because he ends on a completely different note. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. 
The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. And here's what we got to keep in mind when we come to this final word of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's circumstances and the things around his life, none of that changed. The sin that he was struggling with in the beginning of the book was still there. The Babylonians that were coming to bring God's judgment because of the sin was still coming. And when we come to the end of Habakkuk, a lesson we learn is when we lose sight of God and who He is and what He has done and what He will do, we lose a heart of thankfulness and rejoicing. And why is that? Because when we lose sight of God, we become self-centered instead of God-centered. Habakkuk had to come to the reality that it wasn't about him. And he begins complaining to God what God isn't doing for Habakkuk, but by the end he is praising God and had nothing to do with who he was or what he could understand, but who God was. And God doesn't take Habakkuk from his circumstances or his situation. What God does is he redirects Habakkuk's vision so Habakkuk can be triumphantly thankful in the midst of tragedy and tragedy to come. And this is what an action of a thankful heart. God, you are in control. God, I'm thankful that you are faithful. God, I'm thankful that you have a work that you are doing right now that I can't see. In the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of my lack of understanding, I'm thankful for who you are, God. And it allows my heart to move from tragedy to thankful thanksgiving, or triumphant thanksgiving. I think sometimes what we do is we forget this world isn't our home. And so we look out the world and we see all the pain and struggling and it drives us crazy as God's children. And here's the reality we've got to understand. The closer I get to God, the more I imitate Jesus Christ, the more this world is going to break my heart. Because the closer I get to God, the more I'm going to see this world through God's lens and I'm going to see just how broken it truly is. And in my heart, I'm going to get frustrated and in my heart, I'm going to be brokenhearted and disgusted. And what that is, what's happening there is the Holy Spirit is reminding you, this is not your home. But God is preparing a place of eternal rest from all of this. Most of this week are going to gather with family and friends, and we're going to gather around a table. You may do it once. You may have Thanksgiving traditions where you eat, like just you just stuff up for winter. You, you know, you put on the, the warm extra layers. Of, of joy, right? A joy full of jelly, a belly full of jelly. I think that's Santa does. But We're going to gather around, and some of us may have traditions where we share about something we're thankful for that's happened maybe in this last year, maybe this last week, or just thankful for in this moment. And that's where we need to go with God on every single day. Despite what I'm going through, Despite what I can understand, despite what I can comprehend, 
God, I'm thankful. Because I'm yours and you're mine. And nothing can break that bond. Not even my lack of faith moments, not even my times of doubting. Nothing can break that bond because you know what? God saved you before you go through that tragedy. And he knows all the questions you're going to have as you go through it. And he still saved you. So I'm going to be thankful. This is where Habakkuk had to get. He had to make a choice. He had to choose to look at the world and allow the world to continue to bring him down or to turn his gaze and fix upon God and allow God to lift him up. There's one more question I want to pose this morning. And it comes out of verse 18. Habakkuk, despite his circumstances, despite his lack of understanding, despite not even agreeing with what God is going to do, says, I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And here's the question I have this morning. Do you know God as the God of your salvation? Do you know you belong to Him? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed Him? Have you asked forgiveness from an Almighty God for the sins in your life? See, the Bible tells us that God created the heavens and the earth. That's what makes Him God. That makes Him different from all other things. And God created man and woman in His image, in His likeness, to reflect that image and likeness. But the issue we all have is we have sin in our life. Those are things we do when we know we shouldn't do those things. We treat people certain ways we know that we shouldn't treat them or we even just think about them that way. The Bible says because sin is in our heart, we have a very rebellious heart. And we rebel against God first and foremost. But God knows that about us. And the Bible says that we can be as good as we want, we can do all the things we think we should do, and we can still die in our sin. Because the only way our sins can be forgiven and removed from us is through a blood sacrifice. And the Bible calls this atonement. Atonement is removing the guilt and the sin from one party and placing it on another. And this is what God did through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is what God gave a little bit of, to Habakkuk, though he couldn't understand on that side of the cross. The righteous shall live by faith. Jesus Christ came as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and the sins of the world. He died on a cross. They placed Him in a tomb. He rose three days later. And what means that He's an atoning sacrifice? Is God took my sin and your sin and everyone in this room's sin and everyone in this world and who's ever lived and whoever will live, and He put all of that sin and He put all of that judgment and all of that wrath on His only Son. And Jesus took it. And He died. He bled out every drop of blood He had. And they placed Him in a tomb, but the Bible says He rose three days later. And that's why you're actually here on Sunday morning. The Bible calls this the Lord's Day, where we celebrate Jesus is risen. The Bible says, when I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, when I confess that God loves me that much, that Jesus died for my sins, and that's the only way I can be forgiven, when I confess Him as Lord and Savior, who's risen from the grave, the Bible says, I will be given eternal life. I will be saved. Which means hell is no longer an option. Not even on the table. Not even in the conversation. 
because I'm a child of God. So you may be here this morning, and the question is, do you know God, the Lord of your salvation? Is He the Lord of your salvation? If not, I'm going to ask you to come down. I'm going to be standing right here and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. Maybe you're in the midst of tragedy and you're wrestling like Habakkuk. You just come and kneel before the Father and say, God, I don't need anything. I just need you. Give me the faith in this moment. Help my eyes to change direction from what I see to what you're doing. I promise you he's at work. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask Jackson to come and lead us. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for everything you've been doing this week and through our students, everything you're doing in our hearts right here in this moment. Thank you, Lord, that we can relate to a man who's called a prophet, a microphone for you. He still wrestled. Lord, I have no doubt there's brothers and sisters in the room who are wrestling with you in this moment. Father, help us to keep our eyes focused on you. Well, I thank you that I don't have to know the whole plan. I just need to know where I need to be in this moment. And that's to love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. To repent of the sins that so easily entangle me. Father, I want you to be glorified through my life and through all my brothers and sisters in Christ's life. I think this time of year where we stop and we do give thanks. We gather with those we love, those we laugh with and we can cry with and we can just be ourselves with. Thank you for giving us that blessing in life, that gift. Well, I pray for those here this morning who do not know you as the Lord of their salvation. Their heart right now is stirring and they may not be able to fully understand what's going on. Father, they know they need you. So, Father, I pray in this time as we do a stand and worship you through song, that they worship you by walking down the aisle. By letting me know they want to be saved. This time, this moment has become a time of invitation, a time of response. I pray that the words of James would be what is seen here in this moment, that we would not just be hearers of your word, but doers. We would not deceive ourselves. Forgive us if we failed you in any way. Praise on the name of Jesus. I invite you to stand. I invite you to come.